What is good, everybody? My name is Tim Karen. This is the Performance Health Podcast. Today, we're going to be on web show number 12, talking about testing tools with Sean Haynes. We're going to do a deep dive into things, force plates, GPS, velocity-based training. It's going to be a really good episode because we're going to talk about some things that I think are going to be really helpful for you, the strength coach, trying to do a lot with a little resources or small staff or just trying to make the biggest impact absolutely possible if you're what you're listening to you need to become a member of the ph curriculum head over to phpodcast.com sign up for a membership you will get access to all of our training modules all of our nutritional modules all of our coaching modules and all of our movement modules as well as access to all of the web shows the web shows are not just this audio we have a video version we have the transcripts and notes and then we have suggested resources such as articles and other modules to dive into it is a really robust resource for you as a strength coach so if you like this episode become a member of the ph curriculum you will get a ton of value from it all right let's talk about some testing tools Tim, we've kind of been hitting at this one a little bit, but what kind of tools are out there and what do we need to consider when we're looking at new tools for the way? There's a lot of big tech out there. So what do we need to look for? What problems do you have, right? That's the top of the list is where are you coming up short? And the I'm going to start off with a story here, right? You can go to my gym in LA and you'll walk in, you'll see six racks, six barbells, dumbbells kettlebells, med balls, you can immediately extrapolate from there. What's my program, right? Maybe you can, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you don't have a lot of experience with this, but it's going to be some sort of variation of a lower body push, a squat pattern, whether it's bilateral split stance, lateral stance, a transverse orientation of a posterior lateral anterior, anterior medial, and then some sort of single leg stance squat variation. Then it's going to be some sort of hinge, bilateral, unilateral. Maybe I hit a little bit of abduction, so more of the unconventional strength stuff with maces and clubs. Then it's going to be a horizontal vertical push, right? So, and then a horizontal vertical pull, right? So that's going to be the totality of my program. And when you really look at that, the logic behind that, it's Pareto principle, right? We can do... 100 exercises of 20 of them are going to give me 80% of the results, right? And that's the logic there. Push, pull, hinge, and squat with a little bit of variation depending on the day, broken up into a three-day total body program is going to be the foundation of what I do. Now, where you're probably going to find some gaps in my programming is potentially knee-dominant posterior chain, right? So knee flexion. And how am I training the more distal fibers of the hamstring? And I get a lot of hinge, so I'm getting more proximal. I'm getting a lot more glute, a lot more erector. I'm going to get maybe the, the biceps fem in the, in the hamstring, which is going to be important for that hamstring group in general. But do I get the full, full spectrum of development in that? I got a lot of body weight options, leg curl, slide, a, maybe a Swiss ball or physio ball, uh, maybe some bridging. I can do some Nordics. I can do some glute hams. I can do some razors. I can do a variety of things. Maybe I can do a manual resistance leg curl. Maybe I can do a, a lift off getting closer to end range. Maybe I can do some eccentric groove, neural grooving. I can do some things. But it's genuinely hard to do at scale something that's not based around external load, right? So if it's 100% relative strength, 
you're going to run into issues or shortcomings when you're trying to develop that pattern. And you can develop those patterns quite a bit. You really can without external load. And I think we know that from isometric towards overcoming or yielding or some sort of eccentric with using your body mass in a certain angle or vector that we have poor mechanical advantage that's going to pull a lot of stress on those tissues. But there's a chasm there and it's not necessarily as 100% in line with something that's progressively overloaded or easy to add external load to a barbell or dumbbell or kettlebell or medball. Right. So that becomes a potential structural imbalance. And I didn't know that. I just thought, hey, I'm training athletes all the time and we can hide behind variants in off season and in season where I'm just checking these big boxes and in season training or two times a week training. I'm going to go total body and use this push, pull, hinge and squat, maybe a total body variation of Olympic lift or med ball or some sort of chop and lift with a, a Kaiser or something. So I can get a lot done in two sessions and again, we're going good, man. We're rolling. We're strong. We're robust. We're, we're resilient. Great. Awesome. And then you get to a situation I'm at now where I train three times a week for 50 to 52 weeks a year. So I'm seeing my clients and athletes 50 to 150 to 156 times a year, right? Pretty much the average. And then you realize, okay, wow. Okay. I'm spending a lot of time hinging, right? I'm getting 150 hinge opportunities throughout the course of the year. And then you're all right, well, let's have them do a, an assessment to see the impact of hinging off of an eccentric Nordic and Nord board from vault. And then you're okay, we should be really good. We hinge all the time. Our posterior chain's got to be extremely strong. And then you don't know what's good, right? You have no idea what's good or bad. And then you go, oh, wow, okay, 200 newtons of force bilateral in terms of absolute force production. Is that good? And then you're, let's test some more people. And potentially, let's test some people with a little bit more or less experience. And there's not much variance from person who's been with us for three years versus person who just started last month. Okay, that's not, that shouldn't be. This person's been hinging with us for three years now, 150 times a year. And then you start to look at it, comparatively speaking, to potentially some better setups that have some tools that can progressively overload or externally load a knee-dominant posterior chain exercise. And you're like, what would they look like? Maybe they have a prone leg curl or seated leg curl. Or maybe they have a, a, a modifiable glute ham that can essentially the gravitron from a Nordic hamstring curl, right? The, we can take some weight off of you as you descend forward and lighten up that torso based off of loading up a, a cam system that will, or a lever system that will allow you to fall forward with less total weight that you can pull yourself out of the bottom position. And we can slowly decrease that weight till you can do your body weight. And you see their impact. And one of the things that I've always been really really proud of is the ability to look at something going, I'm not very good at that. And I know the gap in my program. Do I still think I have an amazing program? Absolutely. Do I still think I help a lot of people? Absolutely. Can I do better? Yeah. And that's where that testing came in for me. That created a needs analysis that quite frankly, I didn't need to, didn't know I need to do until I found out it was a gap or a limitation. And that's where I would say testing and tools to test really hold you to a high standard. And uh, we, we've talked about movement screen. We talked about table test. We've talked about movement screens or screening in a isolated versus a group setting in the past couple of weeks. And the thing that hopefully is coming through is reliability and validity. But the other part that should be coming through is who's holding you to a standard. Is it your counterparts in the sport, in the athletic department between sports medicine and nutrition? 
who's holding you there? And I, I can tell you another story here of uh, working with nutritionists and we get to a conversation of we have a weight loss athlete, we'll just make them do extra cardio. Are we going to have a conversation about potentially eating less? That's an intervention too now. That person is working out with me six hours a week and then doing player-led practice two hours a week, so doing eight hours of work. It doesn't seem to me to be not doing enough physical exercise and then doing 20 hours of work during the course of in-season and they still can't lose weight. Do you, you mean to tell me that's not enough, but I still need to do some AM fasted cardio, but we don't have any conversation about just simply eating less? And that's the same thing. Right. Hey, I want to develop, I want to make my athletes more resilient. I want to make them more capable of surviving preseason and playing 12 games of college football and then a conference championship game and then some sort of playoff bowl game. I want to get them to play 15, 16 games at a high level without getting hurt and breaking down and performing from game one to game 15 as high as they possibly can. But I have no real idea of what the biggest limiting factor that is based off of not having enough testing tools. And I don't know the gaps and shortcomings of my programming. And you see a lot of weight rooms with 40 racks, but not a lot of machines. You see a lot of weight rooms with, with platforms, but not a lot of ways to isolate certain muscle groups or tissues or joints. You might find there's a gap there or a limitation. You might find that they come off a return to play and the athletic training room has to accommodate maybe potentially not a lot of tools to help you get to that person the upper point. And then how are you evaluating that? You know, they always say that someone with an ACL injury is going to have a high probability of getting another one. And I think that's probably intuitive enough and logical enough to go make sense. You know, there's going to be some sort of compensation. There's going to be some sort of length tension, force length. There's going to be some issue for a period of time. They're expected to go full tilt. But the other part is, can we reduce that slightly? Can we chip away at that, that almost guaranteed that they're going to get another ACL? Can we slowly erode that notion that we are, are now locked into the state of, oh, you are a permanent chance of getting ACL, not a matter of, of if, but when, to potentially if. Potentially, oh, wow, okay, I got a lot of tools to be able to help me this. And what tools would determine if I'm decreasing the potential for getting another ACL? And that's why I look at these tools of a eccentric Nordic hamstring curl that tests bilateral force and, and unilateral force and looks at potentially eccentric hamstring length or isometric hamstring strength. All these things are foundational to be able to writing a more comprehensive and capable program. And you don't know you need it until you know. That's the hard part. It's not logical or reasonable until you realize, oh, wow. And not saying I'm, I'm not kicking myself. It's not like I completely scratch my weight room and go, okay, now I got to get a prone leg curl or six prone leg curls and six seated leg curls and, and then a seated calf raise to train the, the gastroc and the, or soleus. And then I got to get a, a standing calf raise to train the gastroc. I'm not doing all that. I can do some sort of version of that with the tools I have. But I would potentially explore the option of getting some of these tools and looking at, hey, in a circumstance where I can work that personal one on training or potentially a return to play situation, I can facilitate that person who can't do a Nordic hamstring curl or razor curl because they have a surgically attached tendon that took from the bicep femoris and they don't have full sarcomere lengthening all throughout that whole hamstring group. So they're going to hit some sort of definitive endpoint, And I want to make sure I'm loading that great or not putting their popliteal muscle in terms of risk from overloading the distal portion of that hamstring from a eccentric Nordic prematurely. And that, that's the part for me is these tools are just becoming more and more necessary to 
doing the program we all hope we are doing. And that's the part that's so hard. It's, you know, the everybody's going at this with really good intentions. We all want to help. We all want to do a really good job. And I don't think anyone's saying we're not. And we talk about this in one of our modules, there's between ne negligence and ignorance. Of like, not knowing and doing is bad. Knowing and doing is worse. But is it worse to not know? I feel that's either a product of, hey, I'm just not doing this long enough or potentially laziness or just bias. I don't even want to know. I'd rather not know of the this tornado of risk that's going around me all the time and I'm just going to live in this state of bliss and ignorance versus I'm going to gather information and be aware and be overwhelmed and inundated with constant threat to everything I'm doing is potentially not leading to performance outcome or increasing risk. And there's a trade-off there at all times. But I'd rather have that information not and live in the side of I have a choice to make that it's a risk appraisal. Yeah, the, this vector of loading these movement patterns to get to some sort of outcome, running faster, jumping higher, changing direction better, throwing a, a med ball further, or having more lean muscle mass and less fat mass, or being able to go a longer duration without breaking down. That that gets back into the, I have a really good idea what to do for most of the time, but there's always these outliers and these circumstances that change those rules, right? And we need to have that bandwidth to handle either direct criticism. And I think that's where the tools are. I'm much more inclined to take information from a objective, non-human error related or non-biased tool in Nordic hamstring curl to say, you're just not training the hamstrings in a complete and, and holistic manner. You're developing part of the hamstring group or the posterior chain group, but not holistically. And there's going to be a gap there. And you see a lot of people who've been training with you for a while, not putting up enough newtons of force on, on their actual Nordic hamstring curl. And you go, okay, now I have a obligation to develop this and I need to get better progressions and you get better tools. I need to revisit what I'm doing from a program design and structural balance standpoint now. And I'm, I'm so happy. I know that now, and I've made a lot of better decisions for that. And I've rethought some things and I now know more about what I'm doing and what I can expect than I did before. That's a really good point. I like, is it worse not to know? And I really like that idea. Like, like is, is that worse? It's a really good question. It's a really good idea that I think we need to be thinking about. And kind of the theme for like the past couple, couple weeks and months is what are you doing with the information? Because it's only as valuable as you're going to use it. So like testing just a test doesn't do anything. What are you doing with the metrics you're getting? So I, I really thought that was a really good point that I wanted to hammer home. Like, you got to do something with the information and it's, it probably, it might arguably be worse to not know because oh, I know what I'm doing. It's, it's fine. It's, it'll be all right. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for however long. That's so all that, all that being said, is what would make something a bad tool? Obviously not solving a problem. Like what else would make it a bad tool? So the, the downside of this is the compiling that information, taking that information from test to some sort of dashboard or some sort of file and then taking that information from that dashboard and that file and using it that is the part that becomes probably the biggest problem with information it's the organization and then the dissemination of that information and having that influence you in a positive way and and then the the feeling of i got to 
use this information rapidly before even understanding what it means, right? The, mm. the classic example of when you get a force deck and you got almost a infinite number of metrics and you're, I got to be able to understand and interpret this all right now. And I got to start to make some split second decisions without really fully understanding or comprehending what these metrics are or mean. And then not only that, it's, you know, not getting locked in on small, potentially samples of information that aren't like the macro view, the concept of, oh man, Corey had a really bad jump. Our program's awful. We need to revisit our entire plyometrics. Like, yeah, but the other 99 athletes all went up, Mm -hmm. you know, Corey's actually the outlier and, you know, from a actual efficacy standpoint, it's really a successful program and vice versa. Well, Corey did really well. The other people did awful, but Corey did well. So I proved it worked. You you proved it worked with Corey, you know, that dynamic and not jumping to cherry picking data or, or learning to omit certain noisy data points is as much of a skill and art as as much. And yeah, we're getting closer with things like artificial intelligence and it's removing the humanness of it, but humans really have a big influence on AI or machine learning in general, because I can just, I decide what I input to the the AI algorithm still to this day. And mm-hmm. they can't, they can't make me test. I can just say, well, we're not testing because it's going to be bad. And that's going to have, I'm only testing when I think it's going to be good. And that has an impact on what they interpret and what they look at. So there's always going to be this, the speed bump of progress with your programming. When you look at the, the, after the test and it's just something to work on. Right. And, I, I, the other metaphor I think about is the, the folks that don't have kids. It's so hard. It's so hard. People say that are probably the people that are always late for their dentist appointment, always running out of gas and always seem to be completely in chaos, right? Adding a, a big thing of children where they're completely reliant on you to survive for someone that's not really organized or life's in disarray. Yes. Don't do it. Bad decision. Get your life in order. Same thing with training and adding in data analytics. You're just chaos. Your weight room's in disarray. You, you just, you can't, you don't know which up or down or which way you're going from any given day. Every day is an exciting and an extremely incredible adventure. Adding the stress of testing and then organizing and then interpretation and then using. No, you're putting the, the you're putting, you're prioritizing the wrong thing. You're trying to buy or invest into something that you hopefully get you organized. When it just comes down to, you just got to get more discipline. You got to have standards. You got to know what's good or bad. You got to start at the same time. You got to make sure that you are, you're talking to your athletes in a way that is consistent and, and replicatable from you to other coach or from you to, from session to session. And then, and only then you go into the, now it's time to really evaluate the, the effectiveness of my training decisions or the, the consistency of execution. And that's hard for a lot of people. And when you look at strength conditioning and you're, you're basically just drinking out of a fire hose and waking up every day, hoping, just hoping you get more resources and you get more opportunities and you get the, the freedom to do the program that you know you want to do. And then you get faced with the potential to do more. All right, AD comes in and says, I'm going to give you $10,000 and invest into 
a better dashboard or athlete system, a monitoring system, and I'm going to allow you to get better tools to test. And then you get it and you get it all in. And then the actual experience of learning that and organizing that and then implementing that into your weight room, like there's a downside to this stuff and it could be a slow build. It could be a slow development. It could be, Hey, I get to a new, I'm going to wait till I get to a new weight room and the catch 22 of it all. And I can't tell you how many people have left my gyms, which have every gym I have, we're tracking every single set and rep and wait from one week to the next. We're tracking wellness, one to five questionnaire, five questions. We're tracking sleep quantity. We track a, a counter movement jump on four stack once a week. We track a Nordic hamstring curl on Nord board once a week. We track a grip test on Dynamo once a week. We do velocity-based training within the workout. And then they go off to a team setting with maybe not as much either incentive or motivation to test this stuff. And then they want to parlay that into hopefully maybe working at another school with a higher standard or more money or better opportunity. And they go, well, you really don't have a whole lot of sports science experience in your setting. You do. You got it for me. <laughs> like, right. You got all that. And you not only got that, you have a really dialed in way to implement it. And you not only have that, you have a really dialed way to use that information. And I think that's the part where young strength conditioning coaches probably falter. It's a rush to get it without really understanding what they're getting. They, they, their first car was a, a Mercedes you know, they're sweet 16 and they don't know what they got. They got, they got eight cylinders and 400 horsepower and they don't know what that car is really capable of doing. They probably should get a four cylinder civic, no knock on Honda, but they probably should get that and learn how to drive first and understand driving is, is as much anything a risk and, and develop skill as any, as that and not ruin the road for other people. Don't, don't get, don't get something before you're ready for it is the message here. Yeah, it's really hard to take all those data points. I'm at, I'm at high school. It's just me. I'm, I'm fortunate we have this stuff, but now I got to compile it. I got to use it. I got to get the coaches to see it and understand, like, hey, your stuff's going down. What's going on? Are they not recovering? Are you going too hard? Do I need to dial back? But And then just trying to almost force that conversation that 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 they don't understand yet. It's, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, so just being able to control what you can control. And, and really, if you can use the data, it's it's good data. If you can't, then maybe it's it's not so much. Yeah, and, and it cooperates and supports things that you know are more logical and intuitive. The, am I getting better? You went up in weight from last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're better, but something's better. Something's happening. That's a foundation, right? The concentric circle off of being able to go up five kilos from one week to the next is, we don't know, but it's better. So if you're going to define mm-hmm. I'm not getting stronger or if I'm not getting better, well, that's not true. Yeah. Like, or you, let's say that you progress reps. Well, you can do four more reps at your body weight than you could when you started. So you're definitively better. That, that's going to happen. Your job as a strength conditioning coach is trying to triangulate where that improvement came from, right. whether it was muscular or neuromuscular or motor pattern, and trying to replicate that, right? That improvement that I had with Corey at Army West Point and going, what, what, was, the, what was the leading cause of that how did i make a person who's been lifting for eight years better I, how do i unpack that and how do i replicate that for the next your belinda high grad coming into west point and trying to get them better right that's the that's the part that i think about i know i can get anyone better that, that's a given i just want to know how i got them better and why i'm getting better so i can either do it again or do it better for the next person 
I mean, that, that's the part we often miss with data. Yeah, it exposes my weak spots, but also two of it gives you a better indication of going, and we talk about this all the time, of the the expectation that they're going to get better is a given. What's not a given is understanding how that that actually happened. And I think where that's where data collection and tools, we can track this stuff, really take fold of unpacking where that improvement came from. And, oh, wow, that person's squatting more. Maybe their jump didn't go up. So maybe it wasn't neuromuscular. Oh, well, I did a body comp and I found out they added five kilos of lean muscle mass. So maybe they have more contractile units to be able to squat more right. or vice versa. That They added five pounds of lean muscle mass and they increased 10 kilos on their squat max. Okay. They, they, they did more physical work and that manifested into a architectural change of that muscle. That's the point. Testing and tools, it, it, it just supports and substantiates the things that you know are going to happen and gives you clear indication so you can replicate it at a higher level the next time. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, it's Esperanza High. I did, not your Belinda. Not your Belinda. Where's Richard Nixon from? Your Belinda. That's probably why I'm so fascinated with your Belinda. Well, you know, he's one of history's greatest presidents. So. One of the best diplomats, right? Great library. Yes. I mean, pretty much single-handedly brought China back into the fold, so... Go Dick. Dick Nixon. All right. Back on track here. We talked about Vault a lot. What are some of the best tools you've found other than, or why is Vault so good? Why do we use Vault? What, what's out there? And what do you like? Vault, I do. There is the opportunity cost of one point I made a decision to go with Vault and you ride that way from, it's just going to be hard to learn another system and, and overhauling what you do or eliminating your data. So you know, pick the right horse, I guess, is a, and you got to have an instinct to go, where do you see growth, right? Vault was always really good about adding hardware and tools that I think accentuated and improved the experience for the user versus the other ones that potentially might not have as much of a forward thinking. But it, it testimonial-wise, it's the other part, it's troubleshooting, right? The, the expectation that they're going to come in and just give you the blueprint on how to do it. Sometimes I think it's unfair, right? You're, you're going to have to put in the work only. You know your setting. I could probably come in and do a good job of helping you set that up and organizing it, but you're probably going to disagree with me on a bunch of stuff, right? You're going to go, oh, well, we can't do that on Tuesday. That's the day we do this. Okay. Well, when are you going to use it then? I just, that's what I'm asking you. Tuesday. Yeah, but I told you we do this. Yeah, it's going to come at the expense or an exchange of something that you're currently doing. You're not just going to add... 30 minutes of testing to your week that you don't have, right? You can't just go poof, let's start testing people. It's going to come at the time that you work and see your athletes. Might come at the expense of doing hurdle mobility, right? That kind of conversation. Yeah. How necessary is that period for you? Like I, and that's for you to determine where I don't think Vault is, or anyone, Hawkins or whoever else comes in and has any, I guess, notion that they're going to do that for you. But the other note comes into the, all right, I've been implementing it. I've been trying, I've been beta testing. And then it goes into the conversation call. I'm really running into a roadblock here. I'm running into this issue where I'm not really understanding what these metrics are, how they're, or my programming. And can I get some insight? And I'll be honest, man, Wald's always been phenomenal about that with me. And the, the confidence to go, I don't know what that means. And them going, okay, let's walk you through it. Or let's get you connected to the right person. Mm -hmm. That was, that was big for me. And not testimonial here. I, I use them, but 
that for me is the most invaluable part why I stay with them and why I get go away from other companies that I don't need to to bash anybody but once I realize they're not in this for the long haul and trying to help me troubleshoot it's time to pivot and move on and the other part and I think this is important for a lot of strength conditioning coaches is why do we make any decision in terms of buying hardware software or even tools racks or dumbbells think about it what was the influence on that and how did that come to be how did you make the decision for that what what's your vetting process and you know the the pros and cons or doing a a positive negatives negatives list of this isn't going to bring me value this will bring me value and just going down the line and going okay this is a good investment this is a lot of money this is less money the tools are the output measurements are relatively similar the validity is really similar okay i can use that tool at a fraction of the cost and or hell my this other school does it so tim karen uses vault so that's got to be good he did the vetting process that could be true or might not be right it could be i actually have a completely different setup and organizational structure than tim and for me i think we all could do a better job of vetting and organizing that and i think the best litmus is would you be willing to pay money out of pocket to to get that right would you be able to front the money Right? Well, are you? How willing are you to prove this? And if you're not, probably should really think about that because the worst thing you can do from using money that you could fight to give to your staff, get other tools and resources to provide higher quality service for your athletes, to hopefully give a better chance to be successful and retain your job, is buying something that was poorly thought out and then you resent the fact that you have it and you just toss or throw it away or just disregard it and it starts collecting dust in the closet that's money and resources and opportunity that was wasted and i look at that the best way to fight that is would you be willing to front the money on that and and it's buying your own bike and you take care of it you lock it up you wash it you keep it out of the rain versus you just get it from a present or it was given to you by someone else i don't care you know, that's a concept here. And it's, it may be too simple to really say it that way, but that's the truth to me. As I became a business owner, I have an obligation to do a really good job of vetting everything that I do because it's money out of not only my pocket, but it's money out of I can give to my staff. It's money that I can supplement and fuel growth. It's money that I can provide a higher quality of service to my clients and athletes. It's just, it's a resource that I wasted off of that. And I think that's the part that's, so important when you're looking at any tool it's would you be willing to buy it yourself to front the money and then get paid back or no and if you wouldn't maybe you really need to think about not doing it yeah it's actually a really interesting take on on betting and how you're evaluating a new tool would would you pay your own money and because these things are not cheap uh, is there anything else you're considering when you're evaluating a new tool or is it really just boiled down to what I pay for this myself? I, yeah, well, there's the integration into some sort of dashboard or uh, monitoring structure and system. I think that's probably the, the next big wave of data collection and then either auto-populating a spreadsheet or dashboard. And then the final aspect is communicating with other data points and having an ability to discern from tool to input to what is that going to influence in terms of decisions and interventions 
is the next big wave here. And I think there's going to be some sort of conversation. There's going to be some strategic alliances that you got to be aware of that some stuff is just not going to play well or communicate with others. And there's API linking and data sharing and they're drastically different. And when you get into a conversation of how are you going to make better decisions with multiple data points that are siloed off in their own area, it's going to be a negative consequence from a workflow and efficiency standpoint, as opposed to a positive consequence, because that's not really going to set up for long-term growth. And you know that when you inherit a program and they use these data points, they don't match with this data point when they should. I need to know what workloads from a GPS and how that has a direct interaction, potentially readiness I get from a jump or a grip or a direct wearable looking at resting heart rate, heart rate variability. Just don't. There's no interconnected to this and they don't want to communicate with each other until they have some sort of strategic alliance that either one owns the other or the other one has a benefit to get into that customer base that they don't have access to without. So being cognizant and aware of that, and you can see it, just go to the websites and say, okay, who are their strategic partners? And this one's partnered with this person. Like, oh, I already have this platform the program, and they already have an API direct link with these hardwares. I already have that hardware. That might be a good tool for you. Or there's no, I already have this hardware that I invest a lot of time and money to learn how to use. And then this other one doesn't have any interaction with it. And it might be good. It just might be a pain in the ass after the fact. And that's the part you're not going to get from those companies. They're going to tell you, they'll tell you all they do an API link when they do a data share. And they'll tell you what's in the works. It's not, it's not, they don't want to house that data and they don't want to house someone else's data. It's just, no one wants to house someone's data. It's, it's money, flat out money. And if you're paying a couple thousand dollars for some sort of usage fee, and they're going, how do I maximize profitability from the person that sold you this to the person that's managing it? It's definitely not going into housing and storing terabytes of data, every single velocity that you collect during the course of a workout with hundreds and thousands of athletes and inputs, combining that with workloads, combining that with jump performance and Nordic performance and grip and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want to house all that. That's, that's terabytes they can save to get more marketing and more salespeople getting you to buy their platform. And they become more profitable. And then maybe they get acquired by some sort of big conglomerate that wants to own a lot of things. Maybe. Or maybe it's the other end of it of they just don't really have any connections to that person at that company. And they decided to go with this other horse and it ended up being the wrong horse. And here we are. Now you have four different entities that have no communication with each other. And you're kind of scrambling to organize it and coordinate it and try to make inferences that oh this means that from that and oh no it's just Corey and the one-off that was just anecdotal that that's the part that we probably as we look forward to the future we're gonna have to really get lined in and they all have their own interest and they all have their own vectors or they're going and they're all trying to figure out how to survive and in a very competitive landscape just think about how many velocity based units there are how many gps units there are how many force plates there are how many different athlete management softwares there are how many programming dashboards there are they're all competing and they're all trading strategic alliances and they're all information that can enhance and improve your program and make efficiencies and workflows that make you better. Just the problem is, is if you pick one, it probably is going to alienate and detach from others and they might be better or best in practice, just not as efficient, organized, and not necessarily as beneficial as you as you could be. Yeah. 
I will say, not to plug Vault again, they you hit on it earlier, but they do do a really good job adding to the hardware they have, and and it all is housed in one dashboard, which is really useful. You can export it to Excel, visualize it however you please. So, so that is definitely worth considering. How is it all going to talk to each other? And it all boils down, back down to can you use that data? Vault will talk internally, but they don't talk with anyone else. Yeah, exactly. It's and, on its own, someone's whatever they're, they're Vault always... Hub has got to have, it's not going to communicate yeah. with any other platform you use or hardware you use. It's just mm-hmm. it's a standalone, it's a standalone world, and it's its own multi, it's its own universe. And that's the part mm-hmm. that we're working in multiverse as a strength yeah. coach with a lot of these hardwares. Well, and and they're all you said they're all always working on on the integration. Oh yeah, it's coming. Okay, well you said that uh, about. <laughs> 12 months ago and here we are yeah don't take that bait yeah i've, burnt, I've gotten uh, burnt on that multiple times over i'm sure it's okay it's okay yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it yeah. fine with it and just all right we all make and again it's a great way to evaluate how did i bet that in the first place so was mm-hmm. i just that wasn't the reason why i got it for the hope and the promise that it was like going to integrate with other platforms that's probably 10th on the list Right. But then it becomes, oh, wow, maybe I didn't really think this out well enough and find out what the real thing I need from this was. Right. So, well, man, I appreciate you uh, getting on here. I mean, we've got my guy, Sean Hayes, coming up here. So this would be a, a great combo. Yeah. Grab your pen and paper because Hayes is going to bring it. Oh, always does, man. All, All right. right next time. Before we talk to Coach Hayes, I want to talk about a couple of resources. How to Become a Strength Coach and then Strength Deficit. If you read the books... One, thank you. Two, there's more information available. We have courses at phpodcast.com for both books that dive into the aspects that probably were overlooked or not really explained through a book format. So if you want to keep diving into things like how to optimize your career in strength conditioning, go over to phpodcast.com. Get yourself access to the course, How to Become a Strength Coach. If you want to really get some new ideas and plan out your offseason in a different and compelling way, head over to phpodcast.com again and get access to two of our courses around strength deficit, practical guide, as well as exercises, methods, and protocols. Both of those resources are going to be invaluable for you as a strength coach, phpodcast.com. All right, let's talk to Coach Hayes. Hey, we got Coach Hayes on the call today. How we doing? What's up, Coach? Doing well, man. Good to see you again. Fuck yeah. I love it. Love it. All right. So we're going to be talking about testing tools, not the tools that we deal with in our day-to-day life, but the tools that we use to make our programming better. And there's a difference, right? So let's talk about some of the tools you use within your setting and what you use for your own training to accentuate your programming and your coaching and all the stuff that we know we need to do. Yeah, I would say at at XFL, we pride ourselves on using a bunch of tools, right? We got catapult devices on the field. We got force plates inside the weight room. We got dynamo grip testing, grip measurements. We got the true velocity-based training devices. All right, so we got a lot of stuff that we that we can use at our disposal to kind of test our guys on a, on a on a regular basis. And then at, on my personal side, you know, right here at A Street Drip, uh, A Street Gym, I got the uh, I got a Vitruve device myself. I use on strength and speed training days, and then lately I've been using the Breakaway Speed app. So how do, how can I measure my speed and my acceleration without having a you know a catapult device on with the fancy computers and stuff that I'm I'm kind of spoiled with when I'm at work, and then when I come home, it's all right. Now I don't have those tools, but 
How can I still get that? Breakaway Speed app is a, is a really good app I've been using. And all it takes is your phone. You set it up, tripod, and, and run in front of it. So those are the, those are the two I've been using here, at, here locally at the house. Oh, that's awesome. So want to dive into a lot of GPS stuff because I know you've been doing a ton of that personally, you and Dylan. And one of the things that I really kind of want to unpack with you today would be how you're leveraging Catapult transitioning from off-season to pre-season to in-season, and what does that look from either a spreadsheet dashboard or even just the logistics of catapults? Because I think that's often the area that most people underestimate is just how much work goes into just getting the units out, collecting the units, and then getting that data. So if you could just walk us through how are you using that data to make better prescription, both practice planning wise and programming wise? And then how are you implementing that within a day to day basis? Yeah, you're, you're right about that. It's a big undertaking. You know, people think, oh, I just use catapult. You know, uh, what happens is it falls on the hands of the strength coaches. So the coaches are the ones that have to take these units. They got to charge them. They got to put them in the in the units. And they got to, you know, sometimes they work hand to hand with the equipment staff. They're putting it in these guys' jerseys, but they're the ones that, are making sure the sensors are on at the right time, and then they're taking the sensors out, putting them back in, charging, uploading, it goes to the cloud. And then, you know, that's just one part of the story. Then you got to have guys, you know, who I, you know, you you know them, Dylan, we're about to see him here in a, in, a, in a week at Muscle Mentorship, but Dylan does a great job because he's the mastermind when it takes that, takes all that data in the cloud, and then he pun- he punches it in his own little dashboards, makes them nice and makes them pretty. So, so yeah, I mean that's it's a big undertaking and it can get frustrating, but if you believe in what you're doing, it's fun and it's man, it's just something that we got to do. It's setting up the weight room, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's no different. So it's if you believe in it and we we, we do, you know, it, we, this is where we got to do. This is what's going to set us apart. It's what's going to help us get an edge. And and you know, when you talk about how we used it, year one, we just wanted to get a just get data on these guys as much as we could, right? We 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 were kind of going in a little blind on, on season one, just get out there and go. And what we wanted to do was, Hey, let's get as much catapult units on our players and, and the, throughout the XFL, all eight teams, as much as we can. Now that we have that data, all right, now we can start making a little bit better decisions on, Hey, what were the averages in game? What were their averages for training camp last year? Now we can start taking that data and we can start the program as we go into the second season and fine tune and say, Hey, let's, how do, how can we make this upcoming training camp a little bit better? Right. Training camp, a lot of injuries. All right. We, we just got done doing our, our whole entire injury analysis and, and what were the common injuries and when they occurred, training camp was, it was a big, was a big hit. All right. You know, no, no surprise, right. Taking these guys, they're not, they're, they're all over the country. They're, you don't have eyes on them. They're not in a. They're not in a facility with you. And then all of a sudden, bam! They're thrown into a new environment. They're in Arlington, Texas, and whoo, here we go. Right. So not 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 a shocker. But how do how can we better program using the catapult data to do that? And I'll, I'll pull up a couple screens, and I got to give my man my man Dylan here all the credit here on on these on these dashboards. All right. So and Dylan Sean, did a great. <clears throat> We'll, we'll give a big plug to Dylan on this, but when you do open it up, w- talk through it because we're going to have two different forms of this. And if you aren't a subscriber, 
you're missing out. I mean, I'm just telling you, you are missing out on probably the biggest value of this is seeing the actual visuals and the graphics and getting access to all the modules and articles. But in the sake that you aren't a subscriber, which is a huge mistake on your part, just casual listener out there, become a member. But for those people that are just listening to the podcast, walk us through what you're showing me and all of our subscribers, if if you can give a give some sort of explanation to the visual based off of what you're showing me. Which is, if you're not a subscriber, you're missing out the secrets to the inner universe. But that's okay. That's that's on you. All right. So if you can see, can you see this, Tim? Now is it shared yeah. screen? Yeah, yeah. It looks great. All right. So what we're looking at here. All right. Again. Dylan did a great job of, of creating this dashboard. He's the, he's the mad scientist here. But what he was able to do was he, would, he was able to take all of our data from season one and get some averages for each team, all right? And, and if you look at the top, we got max velo, we got max acceleration, explosive efforts, explosive ratio. We got high speed distances, all right? Some high speeds over 12 miles an hour, over 16 mile an hour. We got player load. And distance. So obviously you can you can dive into a big rabbit hole here, but those are those metrics. You talk about volume. Hey, we're gonna be looking at our distance a lot, right? We talk about intensity, we're gonna be looking at our player load. And if you just had those two, I think you're in a good spot, all right? Because um obviously everyone kind of wants to get infatuated with the max velo and max acceleration, and, and those are good too. That's why they're up there. Explosive efforts, that's kind of that can be kind of an intensity metric. Explosive ratio is 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 that how how many explosive efforts are you doing throughout a game? And then obviously high speed distances. Hey, it's it's one thing to run fast, but if you're running fast over a over a long period of time or a lot of yards, then that can take a wear and tear. So so th- those are kind of a snapshot of important metrics, right? And why why that's important is now we can take it each team and say, what were their averages throughout the season? So if we just looked at player load and distance, hey, we we have a pretty good idea that if you're in the XFL, a team, hey, you're going to be, during a game, you're going to be hitting about 500 player load in, 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 in a game, all right? You're going to be running about 5,500 uh, yards in a game. And that that Now, that's important because if we're not hitting those numbers, in practice or in our programming, then we're going to do our players a disservice when it comes to getting them ready for a game, right? So those are really helpful for us when it comes to, hey, how can we make sure that we program next offseason and, at, you know, actually right now, our offseason pro, off training now, and how can we get that better to actual game data, right? And now when you look at some of these graphs down here, this is a good metric for, uh, or a good visual for us to see is are we are we dipping right are, are we keeping our performance high are we maintaining our performance as the season goes on so max velocity max acceleration explosive efforts those are good performance metrics right are there guys running fast and and now we'll be able to see from a league-wide standpoint from week one to week 10, are, is there significant drop-offs for us? And as you can see here, from week one to week nine, there was, from a league-wide standpoint, we were right around 17 miles an hour on everybody in the league. Now, that's a big sample size, but from a snapshot, a bird's-eye view, 
we can say, hey, you know what? We did a pretty good job of keeping guys fresh because otherwise you'd see a big dip down, right? You'd see a, you'd see a big dip. And for us, you know, we it was it was good to see. Same thing on distance and player load. That's a little bird's eye view on our workload, right? So if the top metrics were performance, the bottom load, the bottom two gives you a little bit workload. So hey, we're we're are we running our guy? Are are the games getting longer? Are they getting harder? What's going on here, right? Uh, are we running too much? Are, are we staying consistent from a workload standpoint? So this gives us a good bird's eye view on how that season's going, and then. Dylan did a great job of breaking this down by position. So now you can even go even further and say, hey, were, were position groups high or low, drop off, things that. You know what's so, amazing? <laughs> you know what's amazing in all this is the, the notion that your first year was all about learning. And it's a, it's a hard adjustment for any coach to go from one level to another, whether it's up or down. Because the realization is there's just so many variables that impact these big metrics. And you just talked about workload in a game, which I would argue is, you know, probably feels pretty high for a lot of college strength coaches out there. And the thing that most people don't realize is you're working with smaller rosters. You're working with athletes that have to play a lot of different snaps or a lot of different positions i.e. in the course of the game so you're you might have a starting linebacker that's on punt and kickoff which is not very common in college then there's a lot less parity right so week in week out you're going to have to play your best effort every single time to get a win where in college you might get a half off for your starters or you might not need to i'm sure georgia can play two three different defensive lines depending on the game and NFL doesn't have that luxury. They might have six total defensive linemen and they have to play four every single snap. And right. then if they, one guy goes down, they have to pull some guy off the street. Or now in this case, the XFL as well, where you're going to see a difference in workload. So you mentioned it off of this idea of just learning and seeing what you're working with in that. And not even that, it's practice-wise. you got to get a familiarity with what is the, the workloads a coach is going to work with during the course of a, a Tuesday practice, a Wednesday practice, a Thursday practice. What does a walkthrough look like? I've been in walkthroughs that were more intense than most people's Tuesday yeah. practices. And right. that dynamic is just hard to estimate without actually having quantifiable data. The question I have for you, though, is how are you using what you learned in year one whether it was something you made a mistake logistic-wise or something that you kind of undervalued or underestimated from a data perspective or how can you give better guidance and feedback to coaches and players into year two? What are you thinking about some of the biggest differences based off of what you learned in year one into year two? Right. So for, for us, we, we feel we have a really good control on our ramp up period. Okay. That's what we're calling our first three days. That's the, when players arrive, we're going to get them. We're going to, we're going to test them kind of very similar to our combine. And then we're going to have three days with them where we're calling that a ramp up where it's strength conditioning. We want to get them out on the field. We want to get them in the weight room before, as opposed to just, Hey, slap, slapping on the helmets and, and going to town. So our ramp up is kind of ours where we can control. We got a, we got a pretty good, uh, hand handprint on that. Now, once once we're done with that ramp up, it's kind of like you said, hey, different coaches, different styles. They're it's 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 their team. So what we feel going into this season, we're going to take that data that we just showed you from the averages. 
how can we make the best three-day ramp-up period possible, knowing what average teams were, knowing what our, our in-game data looked, and actually looking at our last year's ramp-up and how that differed for training camp. So I'll show you that the next slide is going to take last year's ramp-up period and last year's training camp, and you're going to see some kind of interesting dips and peaks and see how we can, as a staff, better kind of control that going in because that that's where we feel we really have control over that area. We want to make it the best three days that we can and give these guys a really good shot at playing at a high level, staying healthy. That's the key. Hey, you know, as well as I know, if you, if you start small and then it's that cute to chronic ratio and you spike up, man, you're not giving those guys too much of a chance, right? So we want to, we want to try to give them the best chance as possible. So I'm going to show you this next screen. All right, where we kind of can see taking that, taking what we know from last year and how can we improve. So mm. XFL ramp up 2024. This is going to be, this is our baby to look at to see how we can improve going into next year's ramp up. You should look at last year's ramp up. Our, and really kind of focusing on that, those distance metrics. All right, those first two. You can see our total distance from on day three was around 5,000 yards. Our, our max distance on the first day of practice, okay, so that's after that ramp up. They have a day off. Man, you're at 8,800. So there's a big gap there. Now, you said we didn't know that going in. We didn't, we didn't, have, you know, we didn't have that luxury last year. We, we were kind of going in blind, right, and that's okay. But what's not okay is taking the data and just kind of doing the same thing as you did last year. So that's not okay. What, what is okay is taking what we know. Okay, you see that gap right there? How can we better suit our players by maybe closing that distance a little bit? So when we go into our off-season training, are we talking about, hey, day one, day two, day three, are we increasing our, our total averages on volume? Are we making sure that we – have a lot of tempo runs? Are we making sure the distances on that tempo runs is good? Are we extending our, our warm-ups out a little bit longer, right? So every little detail without having to, hey, crush these guys, but give them the best opportunity to close that distance on that gap a little bit so that maybe it is closer to 6,000. Maybe it is closer to 6,500, 7,000. So that when they strap on that helmet, hey, we got a pretty good idea. They're going to be, hey, they're probably going to be hitting max distances of of eight of eight of 8,000 plus. So let's give them a better uh, opportunity to, to handle that. Wow. So that's the stuff, how we, we, how we can, how the data from season one can help us going into season two. The, the other thing that, that Dylan did a great job of, okay. You can see here, he's got, he's got these great dashboards where it gives you the averages and things that, and as you're kind of going in through the season, right after ramp up, you're looking for peaks and valleys, right? So this, if you're if you're an individual coach, you're, oh man, like okay, this drop maybe that can be a conversation starter with my head coach, or or maybe I, I see a big peak, right? So these this this visually helps our coaches kind of with the individual talk from a from a league wide standpoint. I want to show you this these cool bell curves here. Dylan did a great job of taking and and making this a really cool visual and simple to understand. I don't care what I don't care where you're coming from. You should be able to understand this simple concept of this bell curve. I got player low. We can we talked about that's our intensity metric, and we got total distance. We talked about that as our volume metric. Okay, so 
why this is important is you see that spike there in the middle, that's going to be able to kind of give this this range. So from 200 to 400, we're calling that our sweet spot on player low. If I'm under 200, I'm really not doing a service to, to, our, to our players because I'm not prepping them good. If I'm over 400, all right, and I'm getting close to that 600, oh, man, I'm, I'm in danger zone. I'm in red, okay? I'm, I might be going too much on our guys, right? So I kind of want to stay in that sweet spot. Is it okay if I, I spike up to 600? Yeah, sure. Let's just, let's just make note of it and make sure that we tell our coaches, hey, we were really high yesterday. Let's get back in that sweet spot and vice versa if we're under. Maybe mm. they want to be under, and that's okay. We got to we, – we know that going in. Hey, coach, yesterday was walkthrough. We were real low on player load. Let's pick it up today. And then similarly with our total distance, that sweet spot is around 2,000 to 6,000. Again, if I'm under 2,000, really not doing them a service, right, by prepping them as best we can for the demands of the game, and then similarly, if I'm over 6,000, okay, might happen every once in a while, but good to keep track of. Let's get back in that that sweet spot of that bell curve. And then Dylan's done a great job of it. If you are under or over, it automatically highlights yellow and red. So if, so if you're able to show this, hey, Tuesday, we were red here, coach. Okay, no, bad, no big deal. Let's get back into that, that sweet spot. You know what's so amazing? For us, but it's amazing on Just the to, component of yeah, that, though. The, the notion that that's important really comes out off a couple of scenarios. One, during bye weeks where I traditionally see coaches are kind of thrown off kilter and they have a almost free reign to do what they want, so to speak. New install or you know recharge or reset or what they consider recalibrate by just burying guys for five days straight full padded practices for 20 to 30 periods versus coming off a series of one or two losses and coaches are scrambling to figure out what to do to right the ship and the default is harder more aggressive more full padded practices longer practices more things that spike workloads, full contact team periods, special teams, you know, these things that they just go, okay, I either need to throw the kitchen sink at this group to get them in the right, or on the other end, I, I don't know what to do five days off. So here, here we go. Let's just go back preseason mode and you get back to, well, as long as we're in this window, right, this two to 400 this total distance, we, we're going to be fine. You just need to stay within those parameters because anytime we get outside of that for multiple days in a row, we start to see injuries. We start to go see practice drive or motivation go down. We start to see tapering or tailing off to what we ultimately want of an athlete that's prepared, motivated, and really, really excited to play football, which is a lot of times coaches don't really have this infrastructure to go there. And you don't get that opportunity. You don't. Uh, you just don't come out the gate saying, "Hey, it's got to be between two four hundred. You got to build that rapport and that trust with the coach, and you got to build upon that last year. Because if you just let that go to the wayside, a lot of the coaches that you work with, well, what's the fucking point? And no one's gonna ever really address it again. In the future, though, it's hey, we we got these rules, we got these parameters, we've had great success with these organizations, with these teams, and you know now it's a matter of portraying that to that coach this matters and we just want to put you in the best position to be successful have you had those moments where you found a uh, massive standard deviation a bye week or multiple losses or is there has not enough information been determined yet 
Well, we didn't have any any bye weeks for last year, which we kind of just ran straight through, and it was a topic of discussion because you know, yeah, ten weeks is a long is a long season. So, but if when you start diving into these individual teams, that's when you can really start to to see maybe some peaks and valleys, and you know, it, it lets it allows you to kind of see things a little bit more specific to that to those teams and but but I think what what you said it's hey we're not telling you how to coach you you got this job for a reason man you 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 are you are uh, a top-notch coach if you look down our list of coaches in the XFL there are no scrubs okay these guys are legends in their own right so do that hey coach your way because your way has has worked all we want to do is say hey we're taking we're talking two metrics here talking intensity and distance. We're just talking about the sweet spot. And it's okay if you go over the sweet spot or under. I'm just saying for the majority, let's try to stay in the sweet spot. And and each coach can do that their own way with the head coach. We just want to give our strength and conditioning staff, our player performance staff, the tools in order to have those conversations, right? It's not a, hey, stop it. We're, hey, we're stopping practice. You're under here. You know, you're over. No, it's just a, a, a conversation starter to have with your athletic trainer, to have with your head coach, and and just to say, hey, where are we at? Okay, we're in that sweet spot. We're doing good, all right. And it's not, you know, it's 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 not diving into these metrics where you're going to get lost, where where maybe you and I might geek out on that stuff. But it's two metrics. It's it's something that that can be handled, right, and and, and deciphered easily. And we're it's just the beginning. We we might. Five years from now or three years from now, say, you know what? There's better metrics out there than player load and distance. So, you know, we don't want to sit here and say this is the way because we're just diving into this stuff, too. We just want to say, hey, this is pretty cool. Take a look at this. See the bell curve? Maybe if we stay in this sweet spot, we got a better chance of staying healthy. So, and that's just because of what we've seen in the averages of, of our games of last year. Now, with returning players, and there's going to be two parts to this question. One, knowing what they need to get ready for, are you ramping the offseason to get ready for those workloads? And then two, if they are more physically prepared based off you know better now what they need to do, can that bell curve shift higher? Meaning that now it goes from three to 700 that they can tolerably hit, or is it, hey, we got to kind of wait and see before we determine that? Yeah. When, when we get the, the, the hard part is that we don't, we don't get to have these guys and experiment with them and, and really see how their offseason training is going. But, you, you know, one thing, and I'll just pull this up real quick. If you, I'll show what, what our man Dylan has uh, been able to do here. The great thing about Dylan is that he's able to use this on himself, right? So he's out in Cali doing this off-season training program, having a catapult, using force plates, and he's able to kind of measure on himself how he's doing. So what we do is we kind of um, we kind of use him as a as a tester or as as a as a lab rat. How are how are your numbers going, right? How are your how is 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 if we have a speed day, did you hit high velocities and your distances were low? That's kind of what, what should happen. If we had a conditioning day, was your was your max distance up higher and your distance is higher, but maybe your player load was was lower. So we kind of using him as a lab rat 
and he does a great job of taking a taking that and kind of looking at how he does. And that's the best way to do this because if you do it yourself as a coach, it'll trickle down into your players, right? I'll give you an example. We 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 just got off a deload. We talked about a staff. Hey, when should we put this deload in? And we were right at we did three weeks of uh, accumulation. We did three weeks of intensification. Hey, let's hit this deload right at Thanksgiving. Came at a good time, but also we just got done hitting six weeks. If we're not training ourselves and we're not doing it, and we don't feel ourselves sore, how are we? How are we able to have those conversations? Yeah, maybe we deload them here. You know, oh, we just we just keep rocking. So, so we're 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 we don't have the luxury of having these guys and having the tools on them and seeing that seeing that you know the ebbs and flows to be able to answer your question to. Hey, can we push it to three to seven? But, you know, having dedicated coaches and coaches that that love this stuff, hey, we're able to we're able to give a get a kind of a a, a good kind of feel of, of where we're at. So, you know, once we get there in Arlington and we strap these units on and we're able to see, then especially with our return to player guys, we're able to kind of see that from a little bit more of a, you know that lens where it's how, how are they doing with this stuff? But, you know, it's just, a, it's the challenge that XFL has when you're a remote league, you know, but man, I tell you what, when you have dedicated coaches on your staff that really, that really believe it and do it, it trickles down and you can kind of get an idea of, all right, well, if the, our program, you know, kind of the joke is, Hey, I'm up on jumps, programs working type thing. There's some truth to that, right? So if your jumps are up and, your data looks good. For, hey, you might be on the right track. <clears throat> That's sweet, man. Well, man, I appreciate you taking the time. This was a really cool conversation. And I guess the next steps would be really diving into a lot of the stuff that uh, you hear a lot of strength coaches struggle to make the jump into a team sector or a higher level because they have lack of exposure to a lot of these tools like Catapult or Force Stack or even velocity-based stuff. And if I'm going to give any advice to young strength coaches who are trying to cross that that next level or get into the upper echelons and performance training, it's understand what you're getting into. And you got a pretty good description of just the amount of work and effort goes into. It. And for the record, no one knew how to run or run a catapult unit before they got it. So, you know, right. the, the, the dynamic is it's a steep learning curve, but it's just effort and consistency. Yeah. So thank you, Sean. I really appreciate you taking the time and we'll see you here for the next web show. All right. Thanks, Tim. So much to unpack in that episode. One I want to get across to you guys is don't marry yourself to any preconceived tool as being better. You have to find the tool that works for you in your setting based off the time, the resources, the staff that you have. There's no one tool that's a perfect fit for every single place, hence why there's so many options. So find the one that works for you and then make sure you truly are leveraging that tool to its fullest capacity. That's probably the biggest lesson here is understanding that there's a value that we get from these testing tools that is 100% contingent upon the effort and the consistency which you use those tools so don't get overwhelmed if you don't have access to a lot of the tools like coach hayes and myself are talking about focus on the tools you have stopwatch google sheets whatever is available to you all the way up to 
advanced GPS data and force plates and all the other fun stuff you can get into. If you guys like what you listen to, get over to phpodcast.com, become a member, get access to the entire curriculum and all the modules and all of the application. You will not regret it. I promise you, you will get a ton of value from this resource. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next week.